There are two Bible readings this morning. The first one comes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. In the, king, sorry, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, and I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the Lord, the King, of, the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And the second reading comes from Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 21. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb.
Well, good morning again. If you're not aware, we've been started, or we've started a journey through the Gospel of Luke. So our plan is to have read all the way through Luke and to have preached on parts of those readings as we go through. But together on a Sunday, we will have read right through the Gospel of Luke together, which will be a wonderful thing. How's that? Join with me as we pray, and then we'll come to God's Word. Heavenly Father, we have opened your word now, and so Father, we ask that you would grant us your Holy Spirit, that he would teach us, he'd help us to see the truth, help us to understand the truth, to apply the truth, to be changed by it. Lord, these are glorious things, truths that give us hope everlasting, and so Father, we pray too that this would not just be mental affirmation, but that our hearts would sing and we'd be filled with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you remember from Luke chapter 1, verse 4, we've seen that Luke's writing to a friend of his, Theophilus, and why is he doing it? That you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That you may have certainty about the things you have been taught about Jesus. And so as you read the Gospel of Luke, Luke writes as an historian, He's interviewing the eyewitnesses, those who were with Jesus, saw, touched, heard, and he records when, where, who, what, how. He's recording it. In one sense, he's not telling us what to believe, he's just telling us what happened and will you believe. And Luke gives us the timing of Jesus' birth. We heard it read, Jesus was born during the reign of Caesar Augustus, more specific still, at the time when Quirinius was governor of Syria, but more specific still, when the first registration was given under Quirinius' governorship, Theophilus would be able to say, I can date that. I know then that was. Luke gives us geography about Jesus' birth. Joseph and Mary lived in the north of Israel, in the region of Galilee, in a small bit of a hick town called Nazareth. But though he lived in the north, Joseph belonged to a tribe from the south called Judah. The land God had given to that tribe. And so when Caesar gives his decree that everyone needs to be registered in his hometown, Joseph and Mary have to pack their bags and have to travel all the way down. Luke tells us about his lineage, about Jesus' earthly family. Joseph was of the line of David which meant not only was Joseph a royal descendant, but Jesus would be numbered as a descendant of King David. And so Joseph's hometown in Judah was more specifically Bethlehem, called the City of David, about eight kilometres south of Jerusalem. And so Theophilus would know where that was. He would know what it meant for Jesus to be the great, 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 great grandson of King David. He was in the royal line. Luke also tells us about the sovereign providence of God at the time of Jesus' birth. Before the decree of Caesar Augustus, Joseph and Mary had no plans to travel. Mary would have just been planned for her to give birth back up in Nazareth. But God had said, Micah 5, 2, that Christ was to be born in Bethlehem. Proverbs 21, 9, the heart of a king is in God's hand. And like a stream of water, God turns the heart of the king wherever he wants it to go. 
And so God worked providentially so wonderfully. The most powerful earthly king does his bidding. Caesar gives a decree at just the right time so that Joseph packs his bags at just the right time and gets to Bethlehem at just the right time for Mary to give birth in just the right place. That was not planned by Joseph. But then things get interesting. They arrived in Bethlehem. There was no accommodation. Poor Joseph trying to care for Mary, who was very pregnant, and we've heard about that this morning, into an animal shelter. It was, and nighttime was coming. And to make things more stressful, Mary did start to give birth, and she did give birth. And suddenly, it was not two, but three. In the dark of this animal shelter, they wrapped Jesus in swaddling clothes, that's like bandages, to wrap them all up, and they put him in the feed trough manger but if Theophilus is interested by that if you're interested by that it gets more interesting well Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem having an unusual night one like they've never had before out in the fields outside of Bethlehem there were some shepherds having a very usual night same old same old keeping watch over their sheep by night but that was all to change Suddenly, they too would be drawn into this extraordinary event that was taking place in Bethlehem without any warning. That night, Joseph, Mary and baby Jesus suddenly had these strange men rock up to hang out with them, complete strangers, because they wanted to see the baby. Shepherds were hardy men. If you remember what David said about being a shepherd, he had to, he had to be tough, he had to deal with the lions and the, and the bears and the wolves that wanted to come for the sheep. Being a shepherd was hard work. If Jacob recounts for us, Jacob way back in Genesis, the heat consumed him by day and the cold consumed him by night and sleep fled from his eyes. It was hard work, 24-7, around the clock. And these guys came straight from work, no showers, no changing into family cl fancy clothes. They just came as they were. And so once again, we see just as God did with Mary, God humbles the proud. Neither Caesar Augustus, who wears a fancy purple robe and rules most of the world, he wasn't invited. Nor Gov Governor Quirinius, the top dog in that area, he wasn't invited. Instead, God invited the first to come to meet the king of the kings with his grimy shepherds most likely poor and educated, smelling like the fields. And it's those shepherds this morning that I want us to consider some more about what happened to them. Under three headings, their witness, their message, and their response. Their witness, their message, and their response. And so have your Bibles. We're going to read again the verses from verse 9. Because remember, these shepherds had no idea what had just happened. It was just another night to them. And suddenly they were terrified. Verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shot around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, 
there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly host. That's an army, a host praising God. The only reason those shepherds went to Bethlehem to see Jesus was because of what happened. Because God sent an angel to tell them what had happened. This day in the city of David, a saviour has been born. He is Christ the Lord. That is big news. Especially for God's people who've been waiting for millennia, for thousands of years. And these men were the first to be told. Nobodies. Ordinary. But the glory of the Lord shone around the angel that spoke to them. He confronts them and he says, don't be filled with great fear. He says, I've got a message that you can be filled with great joy. The most wonderful joy. And it is a sign, isn't it? Because Jesus, the King of Kings, the Son of God, comes in no ordinary situation. You're going to go into Bethlehem. You're going to look for the dingy animal shelter. And then you're going to go up to the food trough. And in that trough, there's going to be a little baby. And everything was as they were told. And if the witness of that one angel wasn't enough, we can't grasp it. Suddenly a multitude, a whole host, a whole army of angels appeared before them in glory, giving angelic witness to the birth of Jesus. It's important to realize from what's there, the shepherds all saw the same thing. The shepherds all heard the same thing. It was not one shepherd seeing everything and then turning to the others and saying, did you see that? And trying to convince them, they all saw it. They were all eyewitnesses to this glorious display. And they were all of one mind and one heart about what they had heard and seen and needed to do. And verse 15, we see, when the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. God sent those shepherds to be witnesses to Jesus' birth. And he did it so they would go forth and publicly bear witness to that birth and in the end be witnesses to us. Verse 17 tells us, When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds, far from silent, returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And the angle I want to come at this is, remember this, Mary and Joseph had told no one about the birth. No one. No one in town probably even knew who they were. Yet when the shepherds arrived, Joseph and Mary didn't have to tell them anything. They came knowing. They knew everything already. They came, they worshipped Jesus. They knew the baby was Christ the Lord. And afterwards, Joseph and Mary didn't have to do anything either. They had enough on their hands. The shepherds went out into the streets bearing witness that Jesus was the Christ. That's a common occurrence as we go through Luke's gospel. It's there so we can have certainty about what we believe. And it sets Christianity apart from other religions. 
Often in other religions, one person has this supernatural encounter and everyone just has to trust them. And they go hard to try and convince you about what they've experienced. Not so with the true faith. It's awash with supernatural events that send people who don't know each other coming together to give the same message because they've all had an encounter with the one true God who's at work in this birth. God worked again and again, and Luke's going to record it for us, to provide independent witnesses who testified to who Jesus was. We're reading Luke's gospel. Jesus hasn't even spoken yet. Yeah, we've already had Mary proclaim who Jesus was because the angel Gabriel revealed it to her. No one else told her. John the Baptist, he's stuck in the womb. He reacts when Mary draws near declaring that Jesus is the Christ, the child in her womb. Mary hadn't said anything to Elizabeth. Elizabeth, full of the Holy Spirit, makes it known that she is carrying the Christ. Zechariah prophesied by the Holy Spirit, declaring he is the Christ. Again, independently, and our whole group of men rock up, saying he is the Christ. No other person told them. Matthew's gospel even recounts that men from a faraway country suddenly rock up saying, he's the king. No one invited them. Shortly, we're going to read in this chapter about old man Simeon in the temple. Mary and, sorry, Joseph and Mary just come into the temple carrying Jesus and this righteous old man comes up to them and says, he's the king. Jesus is both Christ and Lord, your child you're carrying. And then shortly after that, old prophetess who's very elderly by the name of Anna, comes up to them and declares that child that that lady's carrying and with that man, he's the Christ. Again and again. A person comes from here, a person comes from there, a whole group of people from over there, on it keeps going. People who don't know each other, people who aren't interacting with each other, but they all come with the same consistent message received from God himself declaring who Jesus is. Mary that night in David's city, who had wrapped Jesus in swaddling clothes, had just wrapped up the Christ who was Lord. In a court of law, the Bible would say two or three witnesses are sufficient to determine if something's true or not, the truth of a matter. And at the time of Jesus, God provided more than enough witnesses. If you add up all those people, you've got way more than two or three. You start throwing the angels in, you're going to put the number up and then you've got a whole army of angels. So you potentially got thousands of people declaring Jesus is the Christ, people and angels. God is making it very clear. Luke is writing this for us by the grace of God that we can be certain about Jesus' identity. All these witnesses, especially the shepherds who we look at this morning, are speaking so that we can be confident in our faith. That putting our faith in Jesus is right and true. And without any doubt or embarrassment, we too can be like them and go forward and bear witness to Jesus. What about the message? Let's look at that more closely. What they heard and what they shared with us. Verse 11, the angel said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour, who is Christ 
the Lord. Three things, a saviour, Christ and Lord. Down in verse 21, we see that at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. God said he must be called Jesus. And that name means God saves. Jesus is the title. Every time we say Jesus, we should be acknowledging that he's the saviour because that is what he has come. But what sort of a saviour is he? Because our world actually wants saviours. Our world is always looking for a saviour. Save us from climate change. Save us from bushfires. Save us from wars. Save us from poverty. Save us from disease. Save us from the coronavirus. Save us from death. We're always looking for saviours. And the world's passionately doing so. But all those things the Bible say, the things they are seeking to be saved from are the very things that God has put into his world to remind us that we need saving. But not saving from them, saving from our sin. God has put those things in the world to shake us up into realising we have a much bigger problem. Don't just keep finding the person who can put the band-aids on. There's a problem that's causing the festering. And when creation is crumbling and decaying all around us, wisdom will turn the heart of a man or the heart of a woman to the creator. This is your world. It's groaning. We need to call upon you. The saviour we need must come from God. And when we seek after God, he will make very well known to us what the problem is. It's my sin. It's your sin. Thorns and thistles and all that makes life a struggle so that we have to survive with blood, sweat and tears reminds us that we are sinful rebels against God. We do not live at peace with him. Every sinner, the Bible says, is an enemy of God. There is no peace. And woe to those who say peace, peace, when there is no peace. And so every sinner is under God's wrath, under his condemnation. Disease, death and decay are constant reminders that we have a sin problem. That the earth burns and shakes is a reminder that we're under God's condemnation. That Israel was being oppressed by Roman rule was a reminder that as a nation they had turned against God in sin and under his judgment. How wicked is sin? Which means how wicked are we? Because sin comes from us. And yet God is so worthy to receive glory and honour and power for he created all things and by his will we exist. And he brought us into being. Life on earth, as long as we resist God, is going to be bleak, full of fear and hopeless. Yet into this ugly, sinful mess of the world that we've made, the angel and a whole host of angels come with great news, the best news, the good news, which we call the gospel. News that should bring us great joy because in Bethlehem that night, lying in the manger was the saviour who could save us from this, this, our sins and turn all this around. The angel specifically said to Joseph, it's in Matthew 1.21, you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sin. 
So how beautiful was the message to the shepherds? It's very personal. The angel said, unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour. The angel's telling them, the one who's going to save you, you grimy shepherds, ugly in your sin, the one who's going to save you has been born in Bethlehem. But not just them, as the angel told Joseph, we just read, God's, he's going to save all his people from their sins. We'll dig more into that shortly. He's the Christ. That's the second title that is part of this message. The word Christ and Messiah are the same. Christ is the Greek, Messiah is the Hebrew. It's the same word, meaning anointed one. When someone was to be set apart as king, they would be anointed with oil. Jesus is the King of kings. He is the anointed one. God himself has declared he will be Lord of lords. As we read in Psalm 2, Jesus, the Son of God, the Father has declared to all the world in advance, and it is back now that he will set his King Jesus on Zion, his holy hill. The angels were telling the shepherds about the King the one who will reign over all the earth, the one who will save his people from their sins. Because unless we are saved from our sins, we can have no share in his kingdom. Because he's the good king who's going to establish a good kingdom by getting rid of all the muck and all that rebels against God. So that all who share in his kingdom are those who have made peace with God. And with Jesus, there can be peace. Peace with God comes through Christ alone. And it's not automatic to all people. What did the angel say? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. With whom he is pleased. It is upon them who share in the peace. To share in the kingdom of heaven. We need peace from God. And it's not a peace that will go to everyone. The shepherds went forth praising and rejoicing because God had made it clear to them, he's your saviour. Sometimes at Christmas when we hear these words recited to us or sung, we get this idea that it's peace on earth, that God somehow has done something at Christmas, that everything is going to be all right. She'll be right, mate. That's not what the words say. That's not what the angel said. The angel said, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, what does that mean? It can't mean that we are the ones, God looks at us and says, I'm pleased with you, I'm pleased with you, and I'm pleased with you. Because the Bible's quite clear. Jesus will say, there is no one good, not even one. God alone is the one who is good. So it's not as though God looks on the earth and finds the people who are good, the people who aren't sinners or very bad sinners, and said, okay, I'm going to make my peace with you. The Bible's quite clear, that can't work. But we're all condemned. So what does that mean? With whom he is well pleased. Some of us will have different translations. I'll read some different translations. 
that's sort of how they translate the end of that sentence. On earth, peace to those with whom his favour rests. Peace on earth to people he favours. Peace among those whom he favours. Peace among people with whom he is pleased. The peace that God brings is rooted in him. God doesn't look at us and make a decision on account of us. No, the peace that comes, comes from within God. Something happens in the heart of God. Something happens in the mind and the will of God as he looks at sinners. Something happens that God shows favour and kindness. The same word is used in Ephesians 1. I'll read these verses because we went through Ephesians recently. I'll start in verse 3. Because here we see God's explaining or making known to us how it is we're saved. And it's consistent with what the angels are saying. Ephesians 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the creation, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to, and this is the same word that comes up with the angels and they're giving glory to God for it, according to the purpose, according to his good pleasure, according to his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. Each time in the New Testament, as it speaks, uses that word, it's about something that God does, God initiates, God's grace, God's favour placed upon sinners. And what's the outcome in Ephesians? To the praise of his glorious grace, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. And what was the outcome here with the angels? Glory to God in the highest. The angels are declaring God's glory, this work of salvation through Jesus is God's sovereign work. It's a work of his grace. It's a salvation that's rooted in God, not in man. It's salvation for which God in the highest alone gets all the credit. Man does not want to be saved. The Bible makes that clear. He loves sin, but glory to God who poured out his peace upon those whom his heart showed favour. Like Mary. Like those shepherds. Not because of anything in themselves, but solely because of God's grace and mercy. If you or I want to know the forgiveness of sins and share in the peace of God, it's through faith in Jesus. And if we've shared in that, we should together join with the angels in declaring glory to God. That you looked upon me as you did upon Mary and the shepherds and showed me favour that your favour should rest upon me. He did it by sending his son, Jesus the Lord, to be born as a babe. We get grand pictures, frightening pictures, but grand pictures of Jesus on the last day. He's going to descend before his armies. Throughout the Old Testament, we have this title, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. It's Jesus. One day Christ shall come with a myriad upon myriad of his holy ones, his angels descending to bring his wrath, his judgment upon the earth. 
Imagine the wonder of those heavenly angels, hosts, his army, part of his army, looking down, gazing from heaven, testifying to the shepherd, that's the Lord. That's the commander of the hosts of heaven. That's the son of God. He who is in very nature God. He does not have to count equality with God, something to be grasped. He's made himself nothing. He's taken on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of a man, a little baby wrapped up in swaddling cloths in human form, humbling himself to be crudely placed in an animal trough. Imagine they're perplexed, but wonder. We read from Isaiah 6, we get a glimpse of Jesus. Jesus before the incarnation, he is the Lord seated on his throne, high and lifted up, the train of his robe filling the temple. Above him stood mighty seraphim, each with six wings, two covering their faces, two wings covering their feet, and with the other two they flew. And one called to another, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, Jesus. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold of the temple shook at the voice of him who called. And the house, the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, woe to me. Now an army of angels gazed down perplexed. Maybe they understood more than we realized. The Bible says they longed to understand what was going on. Why is our commander humiliated? How much more, 30 years later, as he humbles himself to death, even death on a cross? He was born as a man to die. Dying for sinners, coming to save his people, to die in their place, to take the wrath of God upon himself. 30 years later, he was, have, he was to have the sins of those shepherds placed upon him. 30 years later, he was to have the sins of Mary placed upon him. God willing and by his grace, 30 years later, he was to have your sins placed upon him. Every sin of Mary and of Joseph and the shepherds and you placed upon him so that the wrath of God would burn upon him. And the angelic hosts watched. Another illustration, I remember John Chapman sharing you ever a boy and had a magnifying glass you had lots of fun you would get a leaf or a poor ant and you'd go outside and you'd get that magnifying glass just right with the sun or a piece of paper until it started to burn until a fire would begin and john chapman would use that illustration to say on the cross was that magnifying glass <clears throat> the wrath of god focused in on Jesus, every ray of wrath that should go on you, every ray another wrath of God that should be upon you, every ray of that light, another wrath of God that should be upon you, 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 and it was all focused in on Jesus. So God's wrath burned upon Christ on the cross as he bore the sins of his people. Great news. The Saviour has been born. Jesus went to the cross that God's wrath would not have to burn upon you, but upon him. And the angel said, glory to God. And praise be to God, he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave, which proved he was Christ and Lord, paid for our sins in full. The means of your salvation is all by the grace of God. All God. God showed you favour bringing you to faith in Jesus who died on the cross 
who took your punishment. And so this morning, as we sing, part of what we're doing is joining the angels in declaring God's glory and his praise. And he's Lord, which means he's the preeminent one. Having been raised from the dead, God gave him the name that is above every name, that at his name every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father in heaven and on earth. The one that the shepherds went to see reigns supreme. He's seated on the highest throne with the highest place. And so finally, will we be silent? That's the third part. How do these shepherds respond? We see their hearts were filled with joy. And I pray that by God's grace, this message would fill our hearts with joy. I confess, I know times where I acknowledge the message. I know it's true, but I just don't feel joy. But I know it's true. And there's times I pray to God, I want to feel that joy again. If our hearts have grown cold, let's pray that our hearts would sing. Because it is the greatest news that brings the greatest joy. If God gave you a vision of hell and then showed you the cross and what he had done, our hearts would sing. Our hearts don't sing because our minds are dull and sinful. And so firstly, may we respond with joy because that's what we need if we're going to open our mouths and tell others. Have you found favour with God this morning? Jesus says, whoever comes to him, he will not turn away. Whoever wants to seek Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and to make peace with God, he won't drive you away. He will welcome you. Come to him. Turn from your life of sin, make Jesus your king and you will have peace with God forever. Will we share this message? First, let's also encourage each other. We see the shepherds, once they all heard this message, they all started talking. Verse 15, let us go. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, they didn't all zip their lips. They started speaking. They couldn't contain it. Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that had happened, which God has made known to us. Verse 20, the shepherds returned together, glorifying and praising God for all they have heard and seen. One of God's graces to us is gathering, that we can come together and sing. That when your heart is cold, the person next to you might warm it as they give glory to God. When we remember the things of God together, when we remember the gospel, when we spur each other on, it helps the fire get stoked in our hearts. Cut yourself off from the people of God and you, the coal will struggle. Come together and by God's grace, it'll be fanned and come red hot. So let's come together and remind each other of the gospel and this great news. And may we share it like these men did because it's not a private message. This was for everyone to hear. The angel said, tell the people. And that's exactly what they did. We may not know everything we want to know about the gospel. We may be thinking, oh, I don't know enough. Just share what you know. And the joy that you have in Jesus, just speak of it and point people in the right direction. Because we can all do it from now. The shepherds didn't need to go and have a training course before they could go out and tell people. Those courses can help. 
But that's not the starting point. They saw Jesus and they went. What God has thrilled your heart with, speak. You may think no one expects me to be running around telling them about Jesus. No one, no one would expect me to do this. Well, I can tell you, I don't think anyone expected any of those shepherds to be doing it either. They probably said, what are you, well, first up, what are you even doing here? When the message gripped their hearts, they spoke. And so we can do it too. But we need to stir each other and spur each other and cry out to God that our hearts would be alive. And right now even, they didn't go and change their clothes for what we can gather. They were still smelly. They just started telling people about Jesus. Martin Luther came to understand the wonderful saving grace of God through this baby born to Mary. And he wrote this, and I refer to it again because I think that image of the army, the hosts of heaven looking down and seeing their Lord as him, a mighty fortress is our God. I'll read this. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Does ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, Lord of hosts, Lord of armies, his name. From age to age the same. And he must win the battle. And that's what the angels say. He will save his people. That is guaranteed. Christ will come. He will reign and bring his people to himself. And so I pray we too this morning will say all glory to God in the highest that he should show us favor. I'll pray. Father God, we thank you for this great news. Firstly, we acknowledge, Lord, that without your grace, we would think nothing of our situation. We'd be running around blind. But we thank you for your favour. We thank you that you have worked by your grace that we may have peace with you. Lord, this great joy that can fill our hearts. Lord, where our hearts are numb, please stir where we are hard, please soften. Lord, that we would sing. The angels rejoiced. And so, Father, we too want to give you glory this morning for the great gospel, the great forgiveness of sins, the great hope of life everlasting, the great hope of one day being with Jesus in his kingdom, with perfect peace and righteousness and joy. No dying, no pain no sorrow. So, Father, we thank you for your mercy. And may you add to our number, Lord, those who would share in this. In Jesus' name. Amen.